Hi, this is James Altucher. Thank you for listening to Eric Cabral's Entrepreneur Circle. On this episode, who we are is a holistic nature in combination, an integrated approach of our personal lives, our health, our relationships, our business. We can't be a business coach. That's why I'm a human behavior and performance coach. I'm going to bring the best out of you in every category by unrooting your emotional triggers, which are the things keeping you stuck. And by doing that, when we realign with who we are, the what's in our life become a manifestation of the who. So it's time that we stop talking about the what's, right? Stop going to networking events and asking people what they do, because that's the first question everybody asks. And if you ask someone who they are, 99% of people will respond with what they do, not who they are. It's time that we shut down the era of what and we usher in the era of who. Let's start focusing on people over profits. And oh, by the way, you'll make more profits than you can ever imagine when you do that. You have now entered the entrepreneur circle. Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Circle, where we built a community that shares lessons learned throughout our journeys, celebrate wins, our eureka moments, and embrace the F word, meaning failure, which I've come to realize that failure is success in progress. I'm Eric Cabral, your host, a husband, a father of two brilliant girls, and I've been called a heart-centered entrepreneur by my peers and mentors. My mission in life is to make the world a better place, one mic at a time. So I'm happy and humble to have you join in on that mission. And I hope that by the end of the show, we would have added value in your life. So if you're ready to jump into the circle, let's get to it. Are you ready to invest in real estate but don't have the time or enough education to do it by yourself? Accountable Equity helps accredited investors who are looking for tax-advantaged investments. So anyone looking for a team of professionals who hold themselves accountable with theirs and your real estate investments, Accountable Equity is your boots-on-the-ground team. Their mission is to bring private offerings to their investors and their clients. With a team of committed and experienced investors themselves, Accountable Equity is always looking for partners to participate in alternative investments which extend beyond publicly traded equities like stocks. Accountable Equity makes alternative passive cash flow possible for more people than ever before in our economy. To find out more, visit AccountableEquity.com. That's AccountableEquity.com. Or look for them on LinkedIn or Facebook. That's AccountableEquity.com or AccountableEquity. That's AccountableEquity, your partner for true, passive real estate investments. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur's Circle. I am your most humbled and happy host. As always, today I have an amazing, seriously, and I know I say it a lot, but I truly, truly, I, I, I've meant it in the past, trust me. But this time, this dude right here, we're connected. There's this weird invisible string going through the screens and through the universe that's connected us. And I want to share that connection with you guys. His name is Brian Bogert. Welcome to the show, brother. Man, Eric, I'm so happy to be here. I, this has been a long time coming. So it's, it's, I'm happy that we finally found the time and we're making magic happen together. It's so true, man. There's been so many little touch points over the years. And we're like, yeah, I know this guy or he knows this and I know that. And how do we connect this? And, and, and through various methods, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram, we've been trying to make this happen. So I'm so glad we're able to both hit record <laughs> during this yeah. conversation. Yeah, so me it's too. Great. All yeah, that tells so me is the, uni the universe wasn't ready for us yet. So here we go, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're 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 an amazing dude, and I can't wait to to share with the audience all the the things that I believe and understand about you, and uh, you know what you could potentially share and inspire them to be and to do. So, for those of you don't, who don't know who uh, Brian Berger is, he's a performance coach, he's a motivational speaker, he's a business strategist, a top sales guy, and he believes in helping people uh, who are growth minded and and creative people uh, that want to be the best versions of themselves and their most authentic selves. And one of my favorite quotes that comes from you, Brian, is, you know, you, you want to allow people to embrace pain in order to gain their freedom. So the first question I'm going to throw out to you, brother, and I hope I didn't miss anything there, is give us the eureka moment in your life, that aha moment that sort of set the path. So. I, I, yes. Great question. What I want to make sure I clarify though, is that there's a eureka moment that set the path, but the ahas didn't come till later. So I want to start with the moment and we can unpack the ahas as we see fit. 
I'm going to ask you and everybody who's listening right now, unless they're driving, of course, to just close your eyes for one second, please. And I promise you, I'll come full circle. and I'll tell you when to open it. I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, knowing you have a full evening ahead of you and you walk out, you feel the sun hits your face. You look up and feel the, the hair blow or the wind blow through your hair and you get to your car. And as you're fumbling for your keys to unlock the doors, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. This is where this eureka moment happens. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And as we were headed back to the car, I was the first one there. I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. My mom and brother were a few feet behind me. And this was back in the days before they had key fobs. So I had to wait for her to literally catch up, stick the key in the door, turn it, so that we could get on and go with our day. And as I'm standing there, a truck pulls up in front of the store. And driver and middle passenger get out. Passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So he did what anyone else would do, Eric, and he scooted over to put his foot on the brake but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard, and before you know it, he's catapulting 45 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time to react. We were in an end spot. He went up and over the median, went up and over the tree, hit our car, knocked me over, ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left the tire track scar on my stomach, and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So there I'm laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. They look up and they see my arm 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw the whole thing happen. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place. And she saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And I am forever indebted to this woman for choosing to turn into action versus going on with her day. She came over and immediately stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life. And instructed some innocent bystanders to grab a cooler, fill it with ice, and get my arm on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of having my arm reattached. So had it not been for this woman, I either wouldn't be here with you today, Eric, or I would be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. But instead, I get to be here with two arms, and I live a full, functioning, productive, happy, healthy life. So I know that you and the audience were not expecting it to go there today. I have a very, very unique story. But what I've learned in all my time of doing this, brother, is that we all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. So I'm going to share two quick ones, and then we'll unpack where we want to go from there. The first is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what to do with it. And the second, I didn't learn until far later. See, at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was the one having surgeries. I was the one doing all the therapy, but I was also being guided through the process. So I was kind of in a fog. My parents were not, though. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy, and both of them saw the potential and saw the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm as a source of great potential suffering. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So what they did was ingrain in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And when done right, it goes back to what you talked about before. That's also where we gain freedom. So it's these things that I've used to not only overcome this unique injury, how my business partners and I scaled our last business to over 15 million in the span of a decade, and now how we're flipping it on its head as human behavior and performance coaches to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like everybody listening, become more aware, more intentional, and who they already are, their most authentic selves. Because that's when magic happens and the door cracks to perspective, motivation, and direction. That's when joy, freedom, and fulfillment can exist holistically in our lives. And that's why all of our entities are on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2045. Because if we do this, we bring joy, freedom, and fulfillment back in. We allow vulnerability and authenticity to be ever-present, which are the glue that binds human connection. Then everybody's going to have the opportunity to stand on their own two feet, not only confident, but convicted in who they are, knowing that the world's not going to just accept them, but embrace them for exactly who they are. And that, my friend, is what's going to lead this world to be a better place for my kids and my grandkids. Amazing, dude. What a story. I, I knew the story, but the details that you shared there are just... I haven't heard. So um, you really, really painted a picture and, and, and put us in the on the spot in the situation real time. It's yeah, it's I'm speechless. Um, what I do want to unpack is because you said you were about ten or eleven years old. Correct? I was seven. Yeah, you're seven. Yep. You're seven. So I imagine myself as a seven-year-old and anyone else in, else in the audience being that young, still sort of personalities is, 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 is sort of set, right? You're, you're certain things in your life that, that you can uh, rely on and some level of stability. What happens 
from a psychological, mm-hmm. spiritual, universal understanding of what's going on between seven, you know, to 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 your teenage years, like how how was that? How how did you work through that? Is what I'm yeah. asking, really. And I know it sounds like your parents were instrumental, and thank goodness, and thank you know, the Lord for you having parents that can help you through that and navigate through that. Yeah. It's not lost on me, the the support system that I had, you know, and I, what I can say about my parents is that they have always done everything from the purest intent and I've always done whatever they thought was going to be best for my brother and I. And we're very fortunate for that because that, that's not lost on us. Um, you know, the answer to your question is relatively complicated because it's not something that's done quickly. And frankly, I'm still processing and unpacking elements today, almost 30 years later. Um, 29th anniversary was actually earlier this week. And so it, it, it helped me process through a whole bunch of things, but let me, let me bucket it into processes in my life because I really, what's interesting is uh, ironically, I have these 13 year periods where there's different things that have pushed different lessons to unpack different things that I had not really seen through my process of healing. But the first one started right with the accident. And, you know, it immediately went into a position where it's like anybody who has something traumatic like that to them, I think they're not human if one of the first thoughts is, is not why me. And even at seven year old, I, I remember feeling that. But this whole idea of like learning to not get stuck and instead get moved uh, came through the idea that, look, it, it, it wasn't easy to feel sorry for myself for very long. I mean, it would have taken effort to commit to that path because as I'm sitting in the ICU and families are coming up to us and saying, we're so sorry, we're so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry for what happened to you. What can we do to help? And immediately we want to receive that, but also we look across the room and their kid's laying in a bed with a terminal illness and doesn't know if they're going to live another 30 days. It, it smacks perspective right in the face, right out of the gate, where at seven years old, even you're like, okay, well, I'm, I don't know at this moment if I'm ever going to be able, if my arm's going to be successfully reattached. Two, if I'll ever be able to use it. But what I'm pretty damn sure of at the moment is I'm going to be alive, mm. right? And so that that was like where I really hit right out of the gate. I will tell you though, what it led to is um, a whole lot of people viewing me through their lens of the world and what they would believe they would be capable of in my scenario. Mm. And I refused to be defined by other people's boundaries that they were placing on me through their own lens. And so immediately it was one of those things that I also had to justify my own story because at seven or eight, when I'm in a sling and somebody asks me what happened to my arm and I tell them I was run over by a truck and my arm got ripped off, right? Very few adults believe a seven-year-old that tells them that. So they immediately look to your parent for validation. And so my own story wasn't even believed or valid. And so what did I do? I created an intellectual narrative. I'm good. I'm strong. I'm capable. I can do anything by myself. And that served me very, very well for a long time. That was this first 13-year period I was talking about. Okay. And it served me very, very well until it didn't. And when it didn't is when I was 20 years old, I was snowboarding. I went down and I rebroke my arm. Compound fracture in the same spot that it came off at. Nobody there with me. I had to be Aravax to Loma Linda because I was in Big Bear, California. Nobody there knew my story. I wouldn't let them give me any pain meds because I was the only one that had the history of my arm in my head. And I knew that for a compound fracture, normal treatment would, on, would be surgery right? When it breaks through the skin, they clean it up and they do surgery. And so I needed to make sure I was very aware. Um, they ultimately decided not to, but what that led to was a period of 10 months with my arm hanging by my side with the bone still broken because I went through seven surgeons who were afraid to touch me because of the medical malpractice. And I finally found one that was brave enough to actually take it on. But I'll tell you what I learned in that moment, despite all this trauma that I had to unpack again and relive some of these experiences was one, how lucky I was to actually have my parents and my, my people around me, but two, the power of our narratives. Mm. Because I realized in that moment that nobody was there for me. And it wasn't that I didn't have people who loved me. It wasn't that they wouldn't have been there for me. It's that they believed that Brian's good. He's strong. He's capable. He doesn't need our help. Right. And, and in the time when I was most vulnerable in my life, I didn't have the courage to ask for it. So that shifted my whole next period of time into like understanding human connection and realizing that when I actually shut off elements of myself to be able to survive because my capacity to cope was far exceeded by the environment and the scenario that was happening to me, I also shut off human connection. That wasn't mean, that didn't mean I didn't have friends. That didn't mean I didn't have these people in my life. But that's when I started to learn vulnerability and authenticity. Because I truly believe that that is the glue that binds human connection. So I started to focus on vulnerability, authenticity, human connection. And that carried me forward another 13 years. And then I have another situation where I'm hit with health stuff a few years back. Early 30s, it hits me hard. And it took me a long time. I went through multiple doctors all telling me I was perfectly fine. And we found a very rare and extreme case of growth hormone deficiency. 
I won't go into the details of it, but fatigue and, and cognitive dysfunction are two major side effects. Well, guess what? My energy and my intellect are two things I rely heavily on and view as a heavy sense of self. So it really rattled my sense of self that caused me to take a big step back and look at things. But as I started to get on the path to repair all of that, I also started feeling in a way that I'd never had. My wife said for years that I was numb, that I didn't feel emotion, that I wasn't empathetic, that I was just sympathetic. And I would always not understand it because what was actually happening inside felt like chaos. So I was feeling a lot. I just didn't express externally and I didn't know what to do with it, right? So I started to unpack this and I'm laying on the couch with my daughter after playing. She's maybe two years old at the time. She leans over, puts her arm around my neck, kisses me on the cheek and she says, I love you, dad. And I broke down in tears. And what I realized in that moment is that if I've never felt joy as pure as I am right now, I probably haven't felt fear, pain, despair as much as I have either. I was confined in this box. It was also a byproduct of my shame, which we'll talk about maybe in another, another conversation. Um, but it was also really around this thing. And what I realized is that when I shut off physical pain to survive, I also shut off emotional pain. And what I've done in the prior 13 years over human connection, vulnerability, and authenticity, I was really good at it. But I'd mastered it from a tactical and strategic standpoint. And what I realized is that human connection without emotion is not really human connection. And so that's kind of put me back into this category of life that I am now. But the unpacking and processing has been a deep emotional journey. As recently as three or four months ago, I had another piece that was buried so deep it could barely be excavated, but I brought it to the surface, became aware of it, owned it, unrooted it, and moved through it because it's our triggers that can often keep us stuck. So if there's anything that is the, like one of the greatest things that's come from all of this is that I think I have a better understanding of emotions, emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, environmental conditioning than many people who operate in human behavior and performance because I've lived it and I've had to move through it in a way that many people won't. And that's okay. I'm not any better or worse than anybody else. It's my story. But again, it's how do I allow my truth to give people permission to live theirs? Dude, I, I don't even know how to begin unpacking, you know, this is the level of, 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 of what you're sharing. And, and there's so much there that, uh, you know, we, we, we could create books and chapters on specific things that you're, you're, you're sharing and dropping here is, um, but one thing I do want to sort of ask and focus on is 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 that statement that you said where you you shut off the pain, the physical pain, and then you also realized you were shutting off emotional pain. And um, I'm curious during the growth of the business that you mentioned earlier uh, during that time, because it sounds to me like you made a massive transformation of mm -hmm. self, right? You you so the the, the Brian that I know. And love is 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 this dude, right? Like you, you and I are kindred spirits. But for me, this this is this is Eric. What my wife used to call two point She said, "Oh, I'm leveled up to yeah. three point now." So the dude that I was 10, 15 years ago was completely different. I wouldn't even be talking to you. I, I wouldn't even no understand doubt. what you're talking about. Um, when you were growing your business from quarter of a million to 15 million over the course of 10 years, I'm sure there was Brian 1.0. I'm guessing how and when what was going on through those those that decade you know and do you attribute being able being the dude that can shut off physical and emotional pain attribute those characteristics to, to the success of some of what you did so the answer is yes but it's also those same characteristics that limited what my potential actually was in that business so it's a double-edged sword um, it's a great question. I often joke that I'm on version 42.8 um, because I, I genuinely believe that like we are just a constant evolution of self and there is no final destination, right? It's yes. just a constant process of growing. Yeah. And I think one of the advantages that I've had my whole life is that I've had a relatively high level of self-awareness. Even though I've had blind spots, I've also been very self-reflective and done the internal work. And so I was different versions even through that 10 years. But the answer to your question is, yeah, it was a different version. You know what the version was? It was a version that was still terrified. It was a version that was stuck by fear. It was a version that was completely insecure. It was a version that didn't even understand that shame was impacting my life or how. It was a version that didn't realize I was an angry person and that I'd been harboring a lot of different feelings for a long time. It was a person that said that I was, that being a husband and father was the greatest role to me, but my actions didn't demonstrate that, right? It was a person that literally like did amazing things in the community that nobody knows about because my shame wouldn't let it happen. It was a person that changed who I was, drank and numb and did things to blend in to fit the world's definition of what I should be doing. Mm. My path is not this dissimilar from a lot of other people's paths because guess what? We're born as the most bright, burning, authentic light we'll ever be. 
Now I had a really traumatic experience that changed my, my course, my trajectory, gave me a different perspective, experience and learning than many would have. But the, the point is still true. When we're born this way, anybody who's got kids knows it. Then what happens? Parents, teachers, employers, coaches start saying, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't be that. You should drive this. You shouldn't drive that. You should make this amount of money. You shouldn't make that amount of money. You should have this kind of job, this kind of house, this kind of spouse, and anything other than that isn't acceptable. And we start funneling ourselves down to this tiny little funnel of like, until we're literally just an empty vessel of one, who we once were. That's mm. we've put all this armor around us to protect our, who we actually are from the real world, because it's not going to be good enough based on all the narratives that we've been told. Guess what? I was that guy. And I reached high levels of success. And I wake up one day and I realize that I'm running with people making multiple six figures, eight figures, seven figures, right? Like I, I skipped seven figures, but I was meeting eight figures in some cases. That wasn't the norm, <laughs> right? Um, but the truth is people who are making all of the money that was dependent on the idea of success that we've created as the world. Everybody who chased the what, what house, what car, what amount of money, what spouse, right? But guess what? We woke up and I still, still look around and I realized how many of us were miserable, myself included. Because what happened is we lost who we were in the way. And so this transformation in those moments is when I started to actually reclaim a sense of self, start to fight for myself to actually like know that I am worthy, to unpack and understand what shame actually means for me, right? And I'll tell that really quickly because shame has two tracks. Brene Brown outlines this great. If you're not worthy, you're not good enough. I'd be lying if I said that didn't impact me, but that was not my narrative. The other one was when you shut it down, you show up in the arena, you're ready to go to battle. It's who do you think you are? Everything major I ever did in my life, I felt the need to apologize to the point that it actually kept me bridled. I would pull the throttle back in life because I didn't want to live too big and make someone else feel badly about themselves, right? Now it's deeper than that, but that's a high level of where it impacted me. So it, as much as it was a gift, my ability to truly have mental toughness, embrace the pain that it was required to make the cold calls, have the difficult conversations with clients and partners, lead in the way that like I could actually show empathy and compassion for people, like those are hard things to do, right? I did it throughout the path and that's what made us successful. But it's also the thing that limited our capacity and our true potential because I couldn't see how big we could actually go. Okay. And so when I started to unpack these things, I was a miserable person. Who I was and how I was impacting my family wasn't there. But when I started to reclaim the who, and this is what I work with individuals on more than anything, right? Because who we are is a holistic nature and combination and integrated approach of our personal lives, our health, our relationships, our business. Our, it, we can't be a business coach. That's why I'm a human behavior and performance coach. I'm going to bring the best out of you in every category by unrooting your emotional triggers, which are the things keeping you stuck. And by doing that, when we realign with who we are, the what's in our life become a manifestation of the who. So it's time that we stop talking about the what's, right? Stop going to networking events and asking people what they do, because that's the first question everybody asks. And if you ask someone who they are, 99% of people will respond with what they do, not who they are. It's time that we shut down the era of what and we usher in the era of who. Let's start focusing on people over profits. And oh, by the way, you'll make more fucking profits than you can ever imagine when you do that. Hello, this is Josh McCowan, CEO of Viva May Hospitality and the beautiful Renault Resort Winery. I have to tell you, the secret's out. And the secret is On Air Brands. On Air Brands, creative agency which specializes in launching podcasts, transforming live events into live streaming events, and social media marketing soup to nuts. On Air Brands has changed the game. There'll never be a day from here forward when you and I and our companies don't need to be on the air. Every brand needs to be on the air, but so few know that. So it's great to work with a group that are ahead of the curve and to find a company that has been built on the core foundation of the future of marketing. If you're ready to broadcast your brand like they've done for my brands, take the next step and make a change that can transform your business. Reach out to On Air Brands today. That's onairbrands.com. Yes, onairbrands.com. I'm, I'm beginning to learn and understand um, a lot of what you're saying personally in life and on my path and journey currently. Uh, I was at a networking event the other day. Um, and like you said, the initial thought and, and question when you're first meeting someone is, hey, what do you do? I'm only now beginning to be very conscious, conscious of, let me not ask that. Let me ask like, uh, you know, what your family guy, you mentioned your, your dad, you know, or your husband or, you know, just why don't we talk about 
things that are near and dear that no one really talks about rather than like, I don't honestly give a shit what you do. And I want to know who you are. That's exactly right. I don't give a shit what anybody does. I care who they are. (laughs) Right. And I'm only recently figuring this out, bro. Um, So yeah, thanks for sharing that because that is, that is really key um, to, to getting quicker, getting there faster than what is normal. Because if people are talking at surface level, constantly and not going deep in the moments that we have the opportunity to go deep. And that's why I love this, this platform, you know, and podcasting and, and, and the fact that, you know, last year, yeah, it was a slap in the face for everyone, you know, on, on the planet, but it created this opportunity because yeah, you and I would did. probably never have met. No, right? we probably wouldn't have, have because honestly, I dismissed podcasts prior to be perfectly honest. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. a platform I spent much time on. Right. And, and here's the thing, cause you speak on stages, um, and, and, and from my experience, experience, um, speaking on stages, you can, you can inspire a group of people, a, a larger amount of people. And that's fantastic. But you know, when you step off the stage and I say it with the mics, the magic happens when the mics turn off. That's exactly right. The magic happens when you step off the stage. Cause now there's a line of people that want to get to know you and you can get to know them. That's right. Right. And a different level one on one. And I know you probably experienced this and and I don't want to alienate the audience, but I'm sure people have gone to places where they wanted to speak to whoever was on stage or you were the person on stage. You wanted to to engage with the audience. Well, some people take a long time. Right. And sometimes they They need it. Sometimes they need it. And you have to pour in. You got to pour into them. And if the conversation needs to be continued, make that happen if you want it to happen. Right. Now we got a podcast. We got this. Here's go to my link or go to my, my, you know, go to my person here that can help us and we'll reconnect and I'll figure out how I can help you. So speaking of helping people out there wondering, I'm sure how, how do you help people? So I wish I could tell you that I had a seven step system, but I'm not going to, because I don't think we need any more of those in the world. (laughs) Um, And so the way that we work is around a methodology and a philosophy um, that we try to bring the opportunity for people to see themselves more clearly through our work. And, and, and by doing that, when we realign them with the who, that's when we start to unlock. Now, how do we do that? Okay. Um, 99% of people, I think most people, and I called that, I pulled that number out of my head. So you're not gonna be able to reference this on any study, but here's what I think. And I know this only through experience. Most people think they're stuck whether it's personal, professional, health, it doesn't matter what it is. They think they're stuck in life because of the wrong strategy and tactics, right? That's why we see so many people trying to find the next seven-step system, trying to find the next path to get to success. How do I make a million dollars faster? How do I scale my business, right? Well, the reality of it is the strategy and tactics are critically important and they will get you very far, but they're only gonna get you so far. What really keeps people stuck is a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditions. And so how we work with people is to get them to take an internal journey in a way that they never have. I'm the first one to say that working with us is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Because the work that's required in between our sessions and in our sessions are the things that most people avoid most of their life. And when we get to the root of the things, because I think emotional triggers are really the tip of the spear. I say behavioral patterns, environmental conditioning. But oh, by the way, you can reverse engineer behavioral patterns and environmental conditioning if you know the trigger. You can't reverse engineer the trigger if you know the patterns and the condition. So we've got to get to the root of people's emotional triggers. Shame is a major one, right? And we, what we really have to understand is understand this person, the way their life is patterned, where they get stuck, what are the pivotal moments so that we can understand the root or roots of the things that are actually keeping them perpetually circling the drain and not ever actually getting to where they want to go. We realign them with the who. We focus less on the what. I had a guy call me yesterday and he's like, he's like oh, I need help with my business. Cool. Your business will grow if you work with us, but that's not where we're going to focus out of the gate. We will absolutely talk about strategy and tactics. We'll talk about real-time issues in your business, but we're not starting there. We'll do real-time problem resolution, but we're not going to build the plan for your business until we actually build the plan for you. Mm. Because your business should be a byproduct of who you are, not the other way around. And when that happens, you start to see transformation really taking place. So I'll give an example. In fact, it's funny. The person you introduced me to, one of the people you introduced me to, I told this story on the last podcast as well, but it's, it, I wasn't even going to go there today, but because you asked how, I, I need to give an example. So there was an individual, right? He, he runs a, a multi-million dollar commercial real estate firm, big firm, 
they do property management. They actually have their own properties that they own and manage. And then they do investments that they manage for people. This is the three areas that they fit in. Guess what? Commercial real estate has been kind of rough for the last 18 months. Okay. Nine months ago, we start working together. And at that time, he communicated to his staff that they had 17 months of liquidity. He was going to do whatever he could to extend it as long as possible, but give them a major window in communication to make sure they could find other jobs so that their families would be stable because he wanted to run his business like a family. At the time, the organization owed him over a quarter million dollars that he had foregone in his own earnings to make sure that he could pay his staff because that's where his priorities were. Guy's aligned. He's a heart-centered entrepreneur. Okay? But what he wasn't seeing is the fact that, oh, by the way, he's also a guy that rode coast to coast on his bike at one point in his life. Very physically fit, mentally tough, emotionally tough, right? Has a longstanding relationship with his wife, three beautiful kids, but they've been in the same home for 10 years and their kids have outgrown where they are, right? And what we uncovered in the first two to three months is that he is suffering from a deep and profound level of shame that was also manifesting a scarcity in his life and self-worth. When we got to the root of these things and we started to actually help him become aware of them, own them, unroot them and move through them, he's got multiple different ways that shame moves through his body. It manifests different ways. And he's got a bunch of different triggers that he's got to tie them to. So we have to start creating those patterns in a place of conscious awareness so that he can actually pause in those moments and choose a different path. Here's the result. The last three months, they've grown their organization by 40%. He's offering additional employee benefits, extending some raises. He's been fully reimbursed in what he's done. His family has now moved into a new home and he's going to net himself over 600 grand this next year. Guess what? Everything that kept him stuck was a combination of his shame and how that manifested his self-worth and, and, and scarcity in his life. Mm -hmm. He called me to help grow his business. He called me to figure out how to leverage and scale his business. That was the first thing he said to me. He even fought the process two months in. It was like, we're focusing too much on me and not enough on the business. I said, okay, then I'm not the coach for you. Mm. But if you trust me and you see through this process, I can promise you that you're going to see something on the other side that you didn't think was possible. Hmm. And he's just now feeling that nine months in. It's Great. the hardest work you will ever do working with us, but it's the most important work because the most worthwhile things in life do not come easy. And I believe that we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. He was on a path to guarantee suffering for the rest of his life mm. in the midst of a pandemic when everybody in the industry is shrinking by 30, 40, 50, 60, 80% in commercial real estate. They've now found a way to grow 40% in the last three months, all because of an emotional trigger. That's deep, man. The, uh, I, I need to unpack, you know, and, and I understand theoretically um, where you went and how you helped and it's like a million questions swimming in my head. And I'm like thinking all the people that you read that reach out to you and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that work. That's, that's too painful. I don't need By the way, I had, I had, I've had two of those calls this week. I told them, here's what the process is going to look like. They're not ready. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> and, and those that aren't ready probably aren't even aware that they're not ready. They probably just think, yeah, well, why do I need to do that? You know, the, uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm killing it. That's exactly you know? right. <laughs> you know, because they don't want to unpack. They don't want to feel that pain. Yeah, that's that's wild, dude. Uh, I I do have a question though because you brought up shame, you brought up yeah. self worth. Can you sort of define the majority of people, including yourself, who have experienced? Because yeah, I I need for myself and potentially anyone who's listening to understand what exactly are you talking about in those scenarios. So shame looks. I'll, I'll give you a few examples of how shame can manifest in people's lives. Okay. And I'll, I'll even give some examples from my own so that it can be very personal. Um, shame looks like a 32 year old female who grew up in a family of lawyers who was told that if she didn't become a lawyer, she wouldn't fit into the family. She's a highly creative person. She likes to move her body physically. She's in a completely different industry and constantly is made aware of how deficient she is compared to her siblings and her parents who are all lawyers at this point. Shame looks like how that manifests into an eating disorder and the complete lack of self-worth that keeps her trapped in her own profession. And what that shame can start to look like when she starts to move through it is actually understanding that her worth is not defined based on her income or her job, despite the narratives that were pounded into her life in the, in the beginning. It allows her to start to be able to move through that and recognize that when her husband talks to her about something, it's not that he's being critical. He's approaching her from a place of concern, but her lens because of shame has allowed her to receive all those things in a place where it doesn't create positive growth. Shame looks like a 55-year-old woman who's highly successful, leads a very successful organization, but had never made what she called a shit ton of money. Her definition of a shit ton of money is a lot of money, but it's not unreachable. It's not unreachable by any means. 
But we started to recognize is that the narratives from all the men in her world actually had a louder voice than her own internal one. And so her actions, the way that she showed up, the way that she demonstrated herself in a largely male industry actually kept her in a position where she wasn't able to actually move through and unlock so that she could have that kind of earnings. When she actually understood that and refocused her energy and relationship on herself and her, making sure her internal dialogue was louder than the narratives of the world, all of a sudden she started to break through and she was able to accomplish those things. Shame looks like an individual who grew up thinking he wanted to be successful, who had an entire business that was based around restaurants and bars. He owned them. He was successful. But he never actually perpetuated the impact on the world that he want because he didn't think it was worthy, the job he actually wanted to do. So by unpacking that, he actually sold everything and he's gone through the process. He's now a firefighter making 60 grand a year. But that's what it looked like for him. His definition of success was that. Shame are the things that keep us from living as to who we actually are before the world told us who to be. Shame for myself would manifest in a way that I'm loud. I talk fast. I'd be sitting in a boardroom and someone would always tell me, you're too loud. You can't talk that way. Right? And so what would I do? My shame would make me feel that I wasn't worthy or my voice didn't matter. And so I'd shrink down and I'd feel myself biting my tongue. I wouldn't show up as authentically as who I was. Shame would show up as defensiveness in my marriage when my wife would say, hey, are you going to hang out with the kids this weekend? Totally innocent question. But my shame, because my, my being a husband and father is the number one job that I take seriously on this planet, would hear it through the lens of, I haven't done enough with my kids recently, even though that's not at all what she said. And so I'd rattle off the 10 things I've done in the last four days to demonstrate I'm a good husband and father, when really all she wanted to know is, was I planning to hang out with them longer than normal on the weekend? Shame are the things that literally keep us believing that we can't move forward, that we can't break the shackles of what our shame has done to us, right? It keeps us drowning in our doubt. Shame are those things that constantly check us because this is the problem. It's the ultimate wolf in shape's clothing. It represents itself as perfectionism, defensiveness. It represents itself as scarcity. It literally looks like guilt. It looks like fear. It looks like all of these things. Shame is toxic and it permeates so many elements of our society and people don't even know it's there. Because it literally hits you on both sides. It's either I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, or it's who do you think you are? So just when you think you've moved through shame, you get hit on one side or the other. That's why it can be so damaging. Shame looks like the competitive environment of actually force ranking all salespeople, regardless of what their goals were, just to show who's the best. It per per perpetuates a culture that's based on shame that says, no matter what I've done, it's not good enough because it's not number one. Shame is, hey, as a leader, what you've done for me lately doesn't matter. What's going on in your family doesn't matter. Show up and perform or, or get out. Shame lacks perspective. Shame lacks human connection. Shame is what almost made sure that I never stepped out of the role that I was already making a bunch of money, living the life that I thought I wanted, to go take a chance to see what I could do from an impact perspective. Mm -hmm. Does that help clarify it? Yeah, dude. Thanks for, for doing that. And thanks for sharing a ton of examples that uh, I'm sure people out there can connect or resonate, you know, with, with those, those, those pictures you painted. Uh, I am curious because you brought it up here is, is the shame that you were not necessarily aware of at the time, maybe when you were building this, you know, multimillion dollar business and and during that time like how did you how did you get past it and then how did you eventually decide to okay, yeah i'm just gonna do what i'm doing now like, i'm gonna become yeah really yeah. what i want to become i wasn't aware of it until the last couple of years i was in it um i was blind to it for a very very long time and i was blind to it because again it wasn't really the worth side of it and i always thought that's what shame was so it wasn't until i really started to understand like the other side of it that i could start to feel it and oh by the way it wasn't until i started feeling that I was actually able to experience what this was happening because I got to be very in tune with how things were moving in my body. Okay, so that's kind of what, what started it and where it was. Um, what, what pushed me here though, was we had kids. And six months into having our son, I realized that I wasn't the husband, man, and father that I always said I was gonna be because I always said I was gonna do everything for the benefit of my family. But at that moment, all that was was financial. I wasn't there from a leadership perspective, from a love perspective, from a foundational perspective. I missed the first six months of my kid's life because I never readjusted who I was and what my priorities were. And I was burning the candle at both ends and wasn't home. Right. And I, I'm blessed because I became aware of it. So that was the first time I hired a coach. And that's when I started down this path because it was a month into working with him. He said, Brian, you got to be doing this. So what are you talking about? He goes, you build people and you build businesses. Like with your, with your professional background, with what your personal story is like, you've been doing this your whole life anyway. Like, why wouldn't you get paid for it? And I was like, yeah, hey, whatever. I'm paying you a lot of money. And I tell me how great I am. Tell me figure out all these other things. And I literally just shoved it off. 
he trickled it for the course of a year. He was telling me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. So I jumped in with both feet after the universe sent me the sign. And I did it side by side for five years. 2019, my wife and I go away for a weekend. And it was one of those weekends, brother, that like mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, like we were just one. Like we were bonded. It was a magical weekend on so many levels. And as we're driving back to pick up our kids, she leans over in me in the car and she says, how would you feel if you didn't have to go to the office on Monday? I literally was flooded by fear and drowning in my doubt. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was like terrified and I, I felt it. I, I mean, it was palpable. I felt it. And I leaned over and I said, babe, that's a pretty loaded question. Why don't you tell me more? So she leaned over and went on to tell me that the growth hormone stuff that I'd experienced just a couple of years prior had allowed fear to enter into my world in a way that she'd never seen me operate. Mm. She told me that I'd convinced myself that we needed the money, the status, the prestige, the financial security, the platform that's been built, all of it. And she said, but I'm here to tell you that we don't. I don't care if we live in a cardboard box in the corner, what we need is 100% you. And she said, oh, no, by the way, I also think that every day you live in risk management and employment consulting, you're dying a little bit inside and you refuse to see it. She said, I also know that the more time you spend speaking, the more time you spend coaching, the more I see like, that's who you are. That's where you're meant to be. And she said, I know definitively that you're barely scratching the surface of your potential. And I know you're not having anywhere near the impact on the world that you want. So she said, we took a pretty big bet on you once and it paid off. There's also nobody else on this world I'd rather bet on than you. So how about we double down on that bet and go see what we can do? And I had to take three months to process what she had just said to me because she gave me the big push. And she gave me permission to actually evaluate what it could look like if we walked away from everything we'd built. Everything I always said I ever wanted, right? Walk away from it all. So I had to apply a little bit of regret minimization theory that Bezos popularized by saying that I know that people at the end of their life, on their deathbeds, regret the things that they didn't try, not the things they tried and failed. So what lesson do I want to teach my kids? Show them to hit the easy button because it's already here? Or throw literally the towel in and say, let's completely start over and go see what we can do in the world. And that's what began that process. And so I went 10 months side by side with both organizations and I leaned into it and I embraced the pains required to actually understand what it would look like to go take a chance on myself for the first time versus follow the path that the world created for me. I embraced the pains required because it allowed me to avoid the suffering of probably living a pretty damn good life, but not ever knowing what I'd be capable of. And it was the first time that I was actually able to sit with absolute purity and understand that that was one of those moments that my wife just wanted me to see myself the way she saw me. That my shame prevented me from being able to see. That my anger blocked my ability to see, right? That was all rooted in a bunch of things that I have unpacked in my own life and learned how to move through. So I didn't realize it until the last few years, but once I saw it, I couldn't avoid the work. Yeah, dude, it, it's, it's so powerful to have the right people in your corner in all aspects of life, you know, family, business, just, it's critical, right? Just surrounding yourself with the right people because, mm -hmm. you know, it could really affect everything, you know, being in a toxic relationship or an environment or a place where people are uninspired or can't see the best in you because they can't see the best in themselves. So it's the whole crab in the bucket theory. Uh, I don't know if that's a theory. I want to test it one day I, <laughs> or go to YouTube. I, I've never even bothered to look to see if that actually really does happen. But, uh, I want to get to the last segment and I know you had, you shared a ton and I want to hopefully discover something new here that the audience and I can really, really hopefully uh, grab onto and, and, and learn. And that segment's called embrace the F word and the F word being failure. So what was something, a moment, a time, an experience that you had where, yeah, that was a huge failure in my life, but look at everything I learned, look at everything that created because of that experience. So if you have a moment or something, or even someone else, a client, something that can inspire us. Yeah. Um, I have a very clear moment. It was early in my sales career. It was before I was with the firm that we scaled, uh, but I had early success in that business as well. It was the same. It was risk management employment of consulting, just a different firm. And um, actually, no, I had transferred. Sorry, my timeline got mixed up. But it was probably, I was probably 25. So call it pretty early in sales, right? And I decided that there was individuals I'd been chasing for about five years in my career at that point uh, that were on what I called my top 20 list. And I'd never gotten through to any of them. Cold calls, walk-ins, like any old methodology, trying to leverage my network, never got to any of them. So I was like, okay, how do I, 
how do I separate myself from the crowd? How do I do something that's meaningful? This first part, by the way, isn't the failure. It's what I did after this that became the failure. I want to be clear here. Okay. Cause what worked here was amazing. So we went out and we created custom gifts. We did a lot of research on the buyers from each individual. We actually understood who they were, where they went, the types of things they were interested in. We ended up finding people that were in their circle, not that could connect us to them, but could tell us a little about who they were. Mm. And we created really highly customized gifts, spent a couple hundred dollars on each one, had personal engravings, not with our logos, not with our names, but like all about them. And literally just wrote a handcrafted note that was specific to who they were. And just essentially was like, hey, let's, would love the opportunity to meet you, right? No expectations, not trying to sell you anything, but we want to determine if we can, if and how we can help. And we know that starts the conversation. And you get a whole bunch of noise all the time, like blah, 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 right? Of the 20, we met with 14. We wrote, I think, eight. And these were people that I'd chased for literally over five years. And we had a huge impact. Here was my problem. I took what was really good. And I tried to figure out what was the least I could do to replicate the same model. So I literally went out and I got golf ditty bags and tees and like just literal trinkets that had our branding on it. Didn't pay attention to anything that they were. And I was like, if I can do this at scale, we can give a gift at scale. We might actually be able to move the needle. We flopped. We not only flopped, but like I had one of the most uncomfortable patterns and paths with someone through that. It was a CFO who wanted to get a little bit high on his, his C title at the time. And he literally said uh, with a note, I called him on the phone and said, hi, this is Brian Bogart. He picks up the phone. He goes, you're Brian Bogart, the guy who sent me this, the guy that did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew exactly who I was. And he goes, I have no interest in talking to you. And he hung up the phone. So I emailed him and I threw myself on the sword. And I said, look, I did not mean to offend. Clearly I stepped on something that I didn't mean to. Like I, I, I'm, I'm new, I'm learning, I'm growing. I, you know, I'm trying to make a difference. And he literally responded back. The only way you get to see sweet executives is through somebody that they know and trust. Mm. Had a back and forth in the email. And he said, I will never talk to you until there's somebody that I consider my inner, inner circle that will endorse you. So when that happens, tell me. Three years went by. And then I discovered that we had the same CPA. The same person who did our taxes, our own personal finances, we shared. And oh, by the way, this is a person that worked with them at one of the big four 20 years ago. And so not only did they work together, they have a deep relationship, but she handles all of his, his finances and taxes. And so I called him, called her and said, hey, would you lob in a call for me? Can you get this for me? He didn't meet with me. So I called him and he picked up the phone. I talked to him and I said, I'm calling your bluff. You told me three years ago, I have it in writing that this is what you would do. And I said, so are you planning to fire your CPA? And he goes, no. And I said, so was it safe to assume that your CPA is somebody that you know, like, and trust? And he goes, yeah. And I said, would you say that it's kind of in your inner circle since she manages your life and your finances and your taxes? He goes, yeah, I guess. I said, doesn't that kind of meet the, meet the inner circle definition that you outlined? He goes, yeah. We met with him. We didn't write the deal, but we built a relationship. And he's been somebody that I've, been, I've known now for a long time. The failure was we cannot transactionalize relationships. We cannot transactionalize relationships. If we invest the time, energy, money, and resources in our lives to truly demonstrate who we are, get to know who others are, and know who we're trying to impact, then it's not about any individual transaction. It's about relationships, value, and impact. It was that moment that I learned I will never transactionalize a sales process or people ever again. It's why I will never try to convince somebody to do personal development work because they're either there or they're not. We either can offer help and add value or we can't. And so the lesson was I had something that worked. I tried to do it at less cost with less effort, thinking I'd have a greater impact. And we completely flopped as well as burned some bridges that we weren't able to repair. Mm. So the success in this was it was fun to play this game and finally get in front of the guy. I learned a lot about how to actually manage relationships and people but it was something that was seemingly simple. But how many of us have done that? How many of us have been in a sales role? You've gone to a social event just to hand out business cards, have all these dumb trinkets with our branding on it, but we don't actually focus on the person on the other side of the conversation. So this massive failure helped me realize like, it's always going to be people before profits for me. It's always going to be who before what for me. Mm -hmm. Dude, I'm taking notes. It's, it's, it's sick, man. You're your experience, your stories, uh, your, your quotables. <laughs> There's a lot here uh, that could, I mean, we could, we could chop up this episode of anybody who's paying attention from beginning to end. I mean, there's a world of, of, of nuggets and content. Um, 
that can just be revisited over and over. And I appreciate you and your time and your story and, and just being here with me today, brother. Really, really, truly, truly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, what's the best way? I mean, you're everywhere. If anybody just Googles, you know, Brian Bogert, B-O-G-E-R-T. Yeah, but any other ways uh, that people could reach out? Yeah, to? I mean, social is the way a lot of people like to engage. I'm at Bogert Brian on all platforms. And then our website um, is, a, is a landing page for all of our entities, but also a lot of the things that we've done. So here's the one thing I'll say. First and foremost, thank you for building a platform for us to pour good in the world. It was a pleasure to be with you. But secondly, what we realize is that to impact a billion lives, 99.9999999999% will never pay us a dollar. And I am very okay with that. We create a lot of free content. We go on a lot of platforms like this for the sole purpose of pouring value into the world to create impact. And so you'll notice that a lot of our content, a lot of our stuff doesn't have like a sales pitch at the end. It's not a call to action. It's not a funnel. Like, do we have elements of that in our business? Of course we do. But I'm telling you definitively, like most do not because we want to elevate and empower people because we know that's the ripple effect. And the only way we get to a billion is through collective impact. So what I want to ask is for anybody that listened to this today, anybody that listens to anything that we create, if it resonates with you, if it moves you, I just ask that you like, comment, and share, because that is what is going to allow all the algorithms to work in our favor to make sure as many eyes get on this. This isn't just self-serving requests, because again, we're not trying to pitch you or funnel you. I'm just asking to get more eyeballs on stuff that might have moved you. Because here's the thing. Moved people move people. Mm. So I'm just asking for your help. Let's go impact a billion lives together. It's not about my mission. Let's make this a collective one. Love it, man. That's awesome. I'm thinking of all these people that I need to connect you to. Um, that I was thinking of throughout this whole conversation. So we're going to make that happen. Uh, thank you so much again, Brian. Always, always a pleasure and an honor to be spending time with you, brother. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Eric, thank you, man. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral. And as always, remember, your network is your net worth. So get in the circle. <laughs> <laughs>